Welcome to The Caption Life, a podcast about comics and pop culture for the most dedicated and casual fans. I am your co-host and TV slash film reviewer, Sean. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and follow us on social media at Caption Life. You can also find out more information and past episodes on our website, thecaptionlife.com. In this bonus episode, we are discussing the latest MCU film, Thor Love and Thunder, which is also the first MCU film to be a character's fourth film. So this is already setting a record within the MCU. So here's the synopsis for the film. According to IMDb, which is where everybody gets their information about anything movie related, right? And the description says, Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who tends to make the gods extinct. Thor Love and Thunder was written by Taika Waititi, Jennifer Caitlin Robinson, and is based off the comics written by Jason Aaron. It was directed by Taika Waititi and stars Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Natalie Portman as Jane Foster slash Mighty Thor, Kristen Bale as Gore the God Butcher, Tessa Thompson as King Valkyrie, Russell Crowe as Zeus, and Jamie Alexander as Sif. So before we get started with our review, we do have an awesome guest with us. They'll be adding their thoughts and insights about Thor Love and Thunder, and that is our own personal Thor expert, TJ, a.k.a. Fat Thor. TJ has been a fan of Marvel Comics since he was a kid and has spent the last decade dedicated to the character of Thor. He is also a co-host of the podcast Sons of Molinier, which you can find on YouTube and on any podcast platform. He is also a film reviewer for The Streamer as well as part of the Nerd Initiative. TJ, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's great to be here. And I am so excited to talk about this movie. You know I am always available <laughs> to nerd out about Thor. So again, just thanks for having me on. Thanks for even just thinking of inviting me. I'm excited. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and one of the reasons why I want to have you on the show is first of all, we had you earlier to do a YouTube special that we talked about what are some of the comics that people can read leading up to this movie, which a lot of people have really enjoyed having that recommendation. We posted on our website and our podcast um, and our YouTube channel, but it was also listed in uh, the nerd initiative. But one of the reasons why we started connecting is because of our love of comics, but I also noticed that your Twitter profile is pretty Pretty much dedicated to the character Thor. You have a really great uh, set of knowledge about the character. So I thought who better to have on the show to talk about this movie than to have you on here. So I'm very excited to have you back on. So thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that, man. That makes me feel good. Thank you. <laughs> good. Just like all of our bonus episodes, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen it yet, press pause now, go watch Thor 11 Thunder, then come back. Now, let's go ahead and jump right on in to the review. Let's talk about reactions to the film. So, TJ, let me go ahead and kind of throw this back over to you and just get your initial reaction to the film. What did you think about this leading up to it? Were you excited? Were you kind of curious about it? Did you not have any feelings? Um, and then after watching it, like, what did you think about it overall? And maybe with the context of the other three movies as well, too. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said before, I'm kind of the Thor guy. So <laughs> all, all, I, with everything I say in this episode, please, everyone out there, take it with just a little bit of grain of salt, because obviously I do have a little bit of bias here. But I was obviously super excited for the movie to come out. Like you mentioned in the intro, this is uh, one of the first, at least the first OG uh, Avenger characters to get his fourth film. So mm -hmm. I was just excited to see more Thor, obviously. 
I loved the new direction of Ragnarok and having Taika come back for this one. I was obviously super excited for it. And also the Jason Aaron run that this movie is loosely based off of is one of my favorite Thor runs of all time. So my excitement level probably could not have gotten any higher for this film. So (laughs) going right out the gate, I was excited. After seeing the movie, I obviously I loved it. I thought it Mm -hmm. was really, really good. Uh, The humor, I will say, was definitely taken up another notch from Ragnarok. Personally, Mm -hmm. for me, I enjoyed that. I really enjoy the new uh, kind of fun direction of Thor. I made a tweet a couple days ago about, you know, while we all like a, you know, serious, you know, Thor being badass, don't get me wrong, we all love the badass moments. At the Mm -hmm. end of the day, he is a guy that travels through the galaxy on a rainbow bridge using a hammer. (laughs) So, like, it's it's okay to acknowledge that it's a little silly. And I think embracing the silliness, I personally, I really love. But on top of all that, with the laughs and the gaffes, I also thought that there was a lot of heart in this movie. And there was a lot of, you know, deeper themes that were hidden under the layers of comedy and stuff. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the balance of it. If I can put my bias aside for a second, I will say that I think the pacing was a little fast. And Mm -hmm. obviously, I think people might take this as, oh, well, of course, the Thor guy wanted more of the movie. But I actually mean it. (laughs) Yeah, I actually mean it as a criticism, though. I think that the movie could have done with maybe an extra 15, 20 minutes to flesh Mm -hmm. a couple more things out. But again, all in all, I loved it. I mean, for lack of a better term, it was another classic Thor adventure. That's how I felt. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, to um, chime in on what you had said, I know there was um, criticism from some people, you know, going back as far as Thor Ragnarok about Thor being a different character than what we saw in the original Thor film and Thor the Dark World. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of goes back to what you had mentioned in terms of what people are usually expecting from the comics is that Thor tends to be a little bit more of a serious character not that he doesn't have his comedic moments but Mm -hmm. he definitely has a lot more serious moments than comedic um from the comics and it seems like this is flipped but i think what you know just what you had said is that it is a lot of fun and that it really changed the experience of who thor is and you know not so much that it changed the character necessarily but it just it's a lot more fun it still has like what you said a lot of the serious moments and the heartful um the heartfelt moments that uh, people expect from it and everything and that still mm-hmm. played a part in this movie as well too but um i think what i find really interesting is that when you look at some of the behind the scenes of what was happening with uh, Chris Hemsworth and the Thor movies is that at one point he was thinking about not doing the Thor films anymore because I guess he just wasn't having a whole lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. And then he was finally able to convince him for Thor Ragnarok to take a more comedic approach. And it's, you know, definitely, you know, flipped. And a lot of people I think really enjoyed it because it's another, you know, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a fun film for me. You know, it's, it made it a lot more fun. I think that if it was just serious all the time and just had, you know, moments of comedy, 
it would definitely be a different film. And I don't know if it's one that people would really enjoy, especially now that we're looking at the movies to kind of have an escape from reality, even more so than what we've had in the past, you know, 12 years since uh, 12, uh, 14 years since um, MCU has started. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's why I really enjoy this film is because it's a lot of fun. It's obviously not the best film of the MCU, but like we said, you know, if you walk away and you just enjoy the film for whatever reason, whether you, you know, love this character or that character, or you love, you know, some of the Easter eggs or that, you know, it's just funny and things like that. I think that's always a win, whether you think that, you know, is like a great performance or not. But for me, I mm-hmm. think everybody in this had a great performance and I think the humor was great. Um, There's a lot of great action scenes that I thought were, you know, really well done. And I thought the cinematography for some of the parts of the film was also fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. too. And so for me, I really love this film, um, you know, just like another four movie. I think it was just a lot of fun. And I think it's another movie that I would definitely watch again uh, in the theaters and when it comes out on streaming as well too. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I think that this movie, at least in my opinion, I think has some of the coolest Thor action that we've seen from any of the Thor movies. And I would even say including uh, like his entrance in Infinity War, while mm-hmm. still an awesome moment. I think this movie has some scenes that rival that for sure. And again, right. while there's a lot of laughs and gaffes, there mm-hmm. is, a like I said, there is that Thor action that people seem to not uh, not see in the movie that's i feel like a big criticism that people have and going back to to the whole comedic side of it i would argue that i think that it makes thor more relatable and Mm -hmm. i would also say too it's almost closer at least in my opinion to the early works of thor you know the kirby and the stan lee version of thor because those early editions, you know, I mean, comics back then were just kind of goofier in general, but right. the, the Thor and Kirby and Stan Lee's is definitely more kind of goofy. And it's definitely more of that space Viking vibe that I think this movie kind of hits that bank. And yeah, so races, yeah, exactly. And I think for all those people that are like, Oh, well, Thor is, serious and Thor is this and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It's like, yes, that is true. Especially like in the last, I would say probably last 10, 15 years, he's been a more serious character in the books, but Mm -hmm. there is that levity and that kind of silliness in the books. It's not just completely out of left field. And like I said, I think it makes him more relatable. You know, he's a God that has lived for thousands of years that has like pretty much almost infinite power So how, Mm -hmm. as me, uh, just some, you know, I'm just some fat dude nerd, how am I going to relate to that? And I think by giving him that comedy and not only the comedy, but I think this movie also does a really good job of showing where Thor has been throughout the movies. We have the great Mm -hmm. uh, monologue with Korg, which is also funny, but it reminds you of how much Thor has lost throughout all these (laughs) movies. He's lost right. his parents. He's lost Loki multiple times. The right. Asgardians have gotten their ass kicked like hundreds of times. I mean, in yeah. the dark world, they get decimated by the dark elves and then they get wrecked by Hela. And then immediately mm-hmm. after that, half of those people that were already like pretty much a quarter of their army get decimated too. So I yeah. think, you know, with the humor, it's a way of, I maybe this is just me looking too much into it, but I think that's like more of a coping mechanism. And it's like, I think a lot of people out there can relate to using humor and kind of jokes as a way to 
kind of brush off pain and or loss. So I think right. a lot of the, especially like the scenes with him and the guardians when he's like, Oh, take my ship, like take care of my crew, like blah, blah, blah. To me, right. I took that as he's, he's sad that the guardians are leaving and he's like upset that they're like, you know, leaving him. So he's like kind of making a joke about it. Like, Oh, like you guys will be fine without me. Like, you know, take care of them. And again, right. while it's super funny, I think if you look a little deeper, it's more so showing, like I said, his, like I said, a way of him coping. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I think we're going to hit that here a little bit later. But I think for me, um, that's one of the criticisms I have about this film. And we'll get to that a little bit um, later, as I mentioned. But I think that they didn't really quite nail it to make it that obvious that mm-hmm. I think that was some, one of the things that was kind of hindering a little bit because they kind of it, it was really interesting in that there were moments where I think they were trying to tie that in, but I don't think it got delivered through for whatever reason. So, yeah. um, but I agree. I think, you know, having humor as kind of a um, bumper is really helpful because just what you had mentioned before, yes, Thor, you know, had a serious moments um, in the comics, but he's also, you know, kind of, you know, goofy and, and campy in the earlier ones. Um, you know, even the language that he spoke was very much, you know, old English style and they mm-hmm. just dropped that from the movies because it just wasn't going to work well in the films. And so I think, you know, being able to take liberties to tile a different story and a different kind of Thor, I think helps. And, and if you look at most of the movies in MCU, they're always a humor. And I think it's just mm-hmm. people might, not enjoy the level of humor that Thor has, you know, just because, you know, Taika is just a really fun. I mean, he's just somebody yeah. that just has a lot of fun and he he's brings humor. Yeah. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. how he is, you know? And so that's yeah. how a lot of his, you know, his work is. And so it's really shines through to that. And I think people who love that kind of humor are going to enjoy that. And people who have like different expectations for that kind of movie, are just not going to enjoy that. And that's totally fine. I mean, I think we've yeah. all said that not every film is going to be for everybody and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I do want to say just, I know we have to move on, but just one more thing before <laughs> yeah. we get off this is just uh, with the whole, you know, different direction that Taika has taken it. I just want to say, mm-hmm. you know, you alluded to this a little bit after the dark world, the the first two Thor movies, at least in my memory, were pretty like I wouldn't say they were hated, especially the first one, but they were right. kind of regarded as a little lower level than the fa- other phase one movies. And yeah. it, it was kind of a question if Thor was going to get after dark world, are we going to see more Thor? And it was kind of a, oh, well, he. He works well in the Avengers, but his solo movies, you know, we might not see that. So like you were saying, you know, whether you like the new funny Thor or not, I would say, Mm -hmm. you know, without this new direction, we would have no Thor. Like we would definitely not have a Thor 4 and we probably would never have gotten Ragnarok either. So like I said, you might not like the new direction, which again is fine. Like you said, everything's not made for everybody. But again, mm-hmm. I would say without this new direction, we would have no Thor is, is what I think. That's oh, yeah, my definitely. last point on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, those are good. So, okay. So um, let's touch a little bit about themes that we saw in the movie. And so I wanted to kick it off over to you again and say, you know, what are some of the themes that you kind of saw throughout the movie that you thought was really interesting? Um, I know I have a couple that, um, I wanted to bring up, but I want to, mm-hmm. you know, since you're our guest, I want to give you, um, you know, a first chance to be able to share the themes that you saw um, that you want to share. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the first theme that comes to mind immediately is Jane, Mighty Thor. And mm-hmm. uh, 
like the whole her whole reasoning of you know being worthy and their explanation in the film of you know her wielding Milner. I I really love that. And being the comic uh, nerd, I love the explanation in the comic books of why she's mm-hmm. worthy. I absolutely love that storyline. But I also, I love the change that they made for the movie. I thought it was a good way to kind of streamline it and make it a little bit more simple. Because again, mm-hmm. like we were talking about earlier, one of the things with this movie, at least in my opinion, was the pacing. So they're already, we're already hurting for time here. And there is just no way that you're going to get into the whole comic backstory of the mother storm and this Mm -hmm. other God and just a lot of stuff. So I really enjoyed the change in the movie of how like uh, Thor Odinson inadvertently put a new charm on Milnir. And I thought it was just, you know, the romantic in me also just felt it was very beautiful. And it really kind of, mm-hmm. to me, gave Thor, uh, Odinson, and Jane a much deeper connection. And, and while they have a good connection in the comic books, it just was very sweet to me that, you know, Thor was like just kind of having a conversation with Milner. It's not like he was like, oh, I'm putting this charm on and, you know, you're going to protect Jane. He was just having a conversation with Milner, like, you know, she's awesome. Like, I love her, you know, promise mm-hmm. me that you'll protect her. And again, I just thought that was really beautiful. So then when she gets cancer and she's, you know, now fighting for her life, mm-hmm. that's why Milner calls to her because it's protecting her and it knows that she needs protection. And right. I, like I said, I just really loved that. So that was probably one of the major themes of the movie that I liked. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the other theme is just, love in general like the movie's called love and thunder and Mm -hmm. i think the movie does a really good job of you know asking the questions of like you know what is love like what can love be and not only love what can love be but what can love be to gods and you know do gods feel love can is love just a mortal emotion or is that something that gods also feel and i thought it was like I said, while there's a lot of laughs and stuff in the movie, those deeper themes of love and, you know, the triangle, even the triangle between him, Mjolnir and Stormbreaker, like, right. like <laughs> all of that stuff, while it's hilarious, you know, it still kind of is that, you know, theme of what is love. Like, you know, he mm-hmm. was with Mjolnir for 10,000 years and then now he has Stormbreaker, but Mjolnir comes back. So it's like, you know, he still obviously loves his original hammer, but you know, Stormbreakers right. there as well. Again, just like I said, that, I really love that about the film. I guess those are the two major things I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I agree that love as a theme is really prevalent because going back to what you were talking about, Jane's worthiness, I think mm-hmm. that is also tied to the theme of love that we see throughout the movie. Because first of all, you know, we got a very brief insight in terms of what happened between Thor and Jane. Cause I know a lot of people who are fans of them wanted to know, you know, what happened. So I thought they did a mm-hmm. really good job of telling that story without making it like a, it's, it's a filler that makes a lot of sense in terms of storytelling. I think uh, Taika did a good job of thinking of it, of it as a story that Korg is going to tell that made a lot of sense to be able to fill in those details. Yeah. Um, but I think the theme of love also ties into worthiness because we see that love is actually what made everybody that's involved worthy of not just, you know, Mjolnir of just each other as well too. Right. So just mm-hmm. like what you had said, Thor, it, 
inadvertently made a new charm on Mjolnir because of his growing love for Jane. And, you know, he was probably drunk when he said that, but (laughs) we saw that charm show up on Mjolnir when that happened. And so, of course, Mjolnir is kind of that almost a manifestation of Thor's love for Jane. So when she was dying, that's when Mjolnir started calling for, not just because how she was handling cancer and her battle with it made her worthy, but also it came through in terms of the love that Thor had for Jane, as well as for like for his people and for the people around him is what made him worthy, but also what allowed Mjolnir to be able to protect her and be able to prolong her life as long as it did as well, too. And so I think, Mm -hmm. you know, love and worthiness kind of came around and became a full circle as well, too, because then, we saw at the end, you know, where, you know, Jane had died, but also Gore had died that uh, Thor uh, adopted Gore's daughter, which I forget what her name was in the movie. I just I only saw it once and that was like hours ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm like yeah. having a hard time remember everybody. But <laughs> um, but, you know, that came like a full circle in terms mm-hmm. of like how they're all kind of worthy of love. And that's made them, you know, kind of come together and and allow them to, you know, become a family and deal with loss and things like that as well, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree that love is a huge theme here. Um, one thing I do want to give a shout out that's a small theme, but it's a theme personally to me is that um, it talks about adoption in a sense. And I bring this up because I feel like for the longest time, MCU has had a really weird relationship with how they treat and respect adoption, because especially with Thor, because in Avengers, Thor made a crack about how Loki was adopted. Mm -hmm. Um, They also made a crack about it in the What If series between Thanos and um, uh, Nebula. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the Loki series, I found it interesting and I'm saying all this because I'm an adoptive father myself. And so adoption is something that's really personal to me as well, too. Mm-hmm. In the Loki series, uh, for whatever reason, I need to go back and reread this at some point again, but I remember I couldn't really find any, you know, article that kind of talked about this, but they had Loki, they referred to Loki as Loki Laufey's son instead of Odin's son. And so I was kind of curious why they made that decision to do it that way. Maybe they'll reveal, mm-hmm. you know, later on, or maybe they did, you know, say why, and I just haven't found that yet. Um, yeah. And so I've always felt like it's been kind of a weird relationship that Marvel has had with adoption. Um, but I liked how in this film, you know, even though that Gore's daughter doesn't call for a father, he's now a father figure to her. And it's about, you know, choosing family and that family, you know, is is definitely, you know, surrounded by the love that you have for each other as well, too. And so I did like how they were able to kind of show adoption in a sense in a positive light mm-hmm. um, in this movie. The other thing that I want to briefly touch on as well, too, in terms of a theme is body image. So. As you probably know, a lot of people had talked about um, how Natalie Portman looked in the movie. And there were some people that had questioned if she was actually worked out for the role or if her you know, muscles are CGI and were like all up in arms and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really liked about this movie, I know MCU has been doing it generally, is that we look at the women in this movie. Um, they look great in terms of a character and in terms of um, who they are as a person and that they didn't have to resort to, um, you know, being revealing of their body to do that. Right. And so we didn't Absolutely. see any sort of like cleavage. The only thing that we really saw of uh, Mighty Thor, Jane Foster and King Valkyrie were just pretty much their arms, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was really great because you can enjoy that movie without having to be, you know, um, 
having, you know, the, like cleavage throwing in your face and stuff like that yeah. as a, as eye candy that has been done like, you know, for a long time. And, you know, it's, and, you know, I, I get why they do that. Right. Because that's mm-hmm. what's going to get, you know, the, the, the young boys <laughs> yeah. coming in and seeing all that. Right. But I love how this movie gets away from that and shows it more from a character point of view. But I think in terms of our society, it speaks volumes about how that was discussed and criticized a lot from some people. But then you have somebody like Russell Crowe, who was playing the role of Zeus, who was not in, you know, a fit shape at all to be, you know, the the typical God body. Right. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like no one was really talking about that. Yep. Um, I also thought it was really interesting that Christian Bale was actually very, very skinny in this movie, mm-hmm. but he was a formidable, you know, fighter. And it wasn't just because he had the necrosword, but I think it's because of all of his experience and mm-hmm. everything, you know, that he's went through and stuff like that. He's learned how to fight. And like, he was not, you know, built or buff at all whatsoever. Like I just remember looking at him and he's just like skinny all around. And so I mm-hmm. think it was really interesting. And I don't know if the film, you know, did this purposely, but I think it was really interesting to see how he had different kinds of, bodies for people who are warriors and that it's trying to tell the story that warriors come in all, you know, body shapes and sizes. But the fact that a lot of people were criticizing and was skeptical about um, Natalie Portman, you know, being, you know, quote unquote, actually having muscles. Like it was, it was really weird. Like, People were criticizing us. He had yeah. muscles to begin with. And some people think that was all CGI and all that. And, you know, obviously uh. it's, it's just, it's just funny because like, it's not really, you know, documented anywhere. Or they can't provide proof other than they said, like, if you look at photos before she was shooting, like she, uh, you know, wasn't that mm-hmm. uh, muscular or whatever, which one I'm like, I haven't seen these photos, but then I flip it on. Yeah. And it's just like, how do you not know that, you know, one of your own guys actually Photoshop it to make it look like she was skinny, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's just it's really ridiculous and I agree with your points all around. I I love how they're just badass ladies, man, you know, and right. they they look badass, they are badass and it's not about, you know, them being, you know, sexualized and whatnot while, you know, they're beautiful women, it's about them being badass. And right. that's one of the things I love about Jane in the comics as well is that, you know, she is just as badass as any of the male heroes. And I think, you know, you hit the nail right on the head with the whole body image thing and the whole, just the whole discourse around uh, Jane in particular and Natalie Portman is, I mean, if I can be frank, kind of disgusting in my opinion. Oh, I agree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very stupid. And, you know, if you look at these behind the scenes photos and all that, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to spoil something for all you guys out there. Chris Hemsworth's arms are CGI as well. Like, yes, <laughs> I, I'm a spoiler for it. Hey, I'm sorry. I got to break it to you. What my yeah. man's, my man's is ripped. Do not get me wrong. He is, he is for sure jacked, but that does mm-hmm. not mean that they do not touch his arms up with CGI and they, you know, add a little bit more definition just to make it pop on camera. That doesn't mean that he's not right. ripped. And right. they, you know, they do the same with every character. So to say like, Oh, well, you know, they're CGIing her, you know, arms, blah, blah, blah. It's bullshit. And I'll say too, right. uh, one of the behind the scenes uh, things I was watching, I don't remember exactly what it was, but the mm-hmm. early scenes of her having cancer, like when she's getting chemo, they actually right. had to shoot it like, like from her, you know, chest up because she was so jacked 
And they were like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, she, we can't show her super ripped yet because she's supposed to be, you know, sick and <laughs> frail here. So, right. like I said, the fact that people saying that, like, that's all CGI and like she did not work for it. To me, that's just trying to take away from, you know, her performance and, you know, her being this hero. And yeah. I, like I said, it just it's bullshit. And like you bring yeah. up a great point, too, with Russell Crowe. You know, no one talks about how he looks. And I'll also say, too. They definitely CGI'd him a little bit as well. He had some <laughs> popping, uh, you know, he had some traps going on. I don't think Russell Crowe's popping that much in real life, but, you know, I digress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's, well, and, you know, it's, it was clear that for those who are criticizing and being skeptical of Natalie Portman, it's clear that they really had a bigger axe that they were grinding and they weren't really, you know, I mean, they were going to criticize that character no matter what. I think everybody yeah. kind of knew that was coming and all that. Um, but I think it's just, you know, it's speaking volumes of some of the, you know, some of the things that they just have problems with the, with the MCU and that, you know, aren't really founded is just coming from, you know, the, the traditional mindset of this is how the comics were supposed to be in the glory mm-hmm. heyday of like, you know, the sixties and seventies, which are, you know, even eighties and nineties, like they were still pretty problematic, like not as bad as the sixties and seventies, but there were still problematic things yeah. in the eighties and nineties that they think that, you know, they're forcing diversity and, and feminism and stuff like that. And it's, you know, there, there's a difference between forcing that and having a wider range of representation, especially yeah. when you have so many properties that you're putting out there, like no one's taking away, yeah. you know, the, the traditional white male in the, in the stories and stuff like that, you know, we, we're just adding more yeah. to that. So they're just not the majority that you see all of them because we're getting a lot of different people in the MCU, which is mm-hmm. great because that's what we need to, to see more of because there's definitely a lot more stories to be told as, you know, as opposed to what we've done in phase one through three is like, it's a great story, but you need to be able to tell different stories to be able to, you know, have a fresh approach to it. So yeah, yeah. you need different stories from different perspectives. And I mean, we've had at least I would say 26 MCU movies that are either a white or male lead. And right. it's like, you know, I, I it's the four. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> this this stuff literally hurts my brain. It hurts my brain. Yeah. Like yeah. forced forced diversity does not exist. Pe- people <laughs> just exist. Other people and other cultures and people that are different. They exist right. in the world. That doesn't mean that it's forced. It just means, yeah. hey, there are other people in the world besides white dudes. Like right. uh, the forced diversity thing makes me so pissed off. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it, it is just something. It, and I will say this personally, then we'll move on to the next part. But like, yeah. personally, what I've been trying to do is do a lot less of attacking when people are doing that and just trying to have more of a, open conversations about that and hoping that they can kind of see like how silly that idea might be. Yeah. Because I think just hashing out, you know, negative comments at each other is not really going to do anything. But the problem is, is that we live in a society where everything is about immediacy. Right. And I think in order to create real change, it is a long game. It is a marathon and you're not going to be able to live through that marathon. If you're just, you know, spouting out and fighting at each other from the moment you start commenting and stuff like that. So I've been trying to do more of that, but there's just some people like, you know, there are days where I question, I'm just like, has anyone ever actually changed their mind because of a (laughs) conversation they had with a stranger on social media? Right. So it's just, 
Yeah. So I'm, I know I'm personally always trying to find ways of like, how can we help people get to a place where they can, you know, be comfortable and see that this is not taking anything away from them at all, but it's actually opening up a lot more for more people to be part of the conversation than what we had before. And I think that's always a beautiful thing to be able to have. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, you follow, you follow me on Twitter for a decent while now, so I'm sure yeah. that you've, You've seen me get into these conversations about, you know, <laughs> Jane being Thor and, you know, a woman being Thor and, you know, just, or, you know, Wolver- or Laura Kinney being Wolverine. It just, it's always the same bullshit and it's always <laughs> the same shit. And it's like you said, I am always a fan of educating besides putting down, but yeah. there comes a point where sometimes it just, there's no, there's no educating some of these people, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why sometimes you just have to be like, let's just, you know, move on and, and, you know, try yeah. to, you know, be civilized with each other. So yeah, I get that. Yeah. And I'm, I, yeah. I've had some of those conversations before too. So I get that. So, yeah. right, so let's talk about top moments for us of the movie. What were some of the top moments for you that you loved about this film? So first one that I got two major ones. I mean, there's a okay. lot of great moments in this movie, but I would, say two big ones for me and it kind of relates to what we were just talking about mm-hmm. so the first one i have to say is uh with the kids when he gives the yes. kids the power of thor that <laughs> uh, that scene okay so there's a lot of different reasons why i love that scene i'll break them down try to do it quickly first of all <laughs> i am a huge uh rock and roll like nerd i love led zeppelin and guns and roses is like right there with me so uh-huh. that not only was this movie like kind of a Guns N' Roses like soundtrack, but to yeah. have oh, the, yeah. the solo for November Rain playing during that moment, <laughs> it was just yeah. it was so badass. It like just hit the right theme for me. And mm-hmm. uh, another part of it, too, is I just really loved the again, we were just talking about this. I've gotten into a lot of conversations and a lot of uh, I've arguments for lack of a better word about the whole Thor being a title versus a name. Is it a title? Is it a name? Blah, 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 blah. Oh, uh, this person can't be Thor because Thor is his name. He was born as Thor, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I really, this, uh, while this scene is hilarious and it's badass, it honestly kind of hit me on an emotional level as well, just because it was like, hell yeah all these kids can be Thor like all of these kids can be worthy and the way that he says it he's like uh I forget exactly what he says but you know he's like if you're pure of heart you're therefore worthy and for a limited time only you'll have the power (laughs) yeah that was just hilarious but uh yeah just like I said the fact that like all these kids can be worthy in this time of need. Cause I've always said that I think, you know, we're as far as like Milnir specifically and the whole worthiness thing, I always mm-hmm. say that it, uh, a lot of it comes to situation. So given right. the situation that these kids are in and, you know, they needed more Thors. And so right. Thor had the power to grant them his power. And so they were all Thor. And yeah. it, like I said, it just kind of hit me in the heart a little bit, kind of made me a little emotional and it also, again, is hilarious because it also made me think, too, like, Taika in, in the back was like, oh, so a girl can't be Thor? Like, Thor's a name? Okay, watch me make a group of 10-year-olds all Thor. And, like, <laughs> what now? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I just really, I love that moment. It was very powerful. It was, yeah. you know, emotional. 
but like I said, it was also funny and badass too. Yeah. I, I, and I got to chime in here and say, that's actually one of my top moments of the film as well, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, For, for all those reasons, but I know for me personally, as a father, like I know that when I take my son to go watch this movie, that he's absolutely going to love that part because this is probably one of the things in terms of, you know, when we're talking about representation and stuff like that, like I had never thought about, you know, how can we have kids, you know, be seen as superheroes. And so now my kid not only will be able to, (laughs) you know, act like he is Miles Morales or act like he's Shang-Chi or Iron Man. He can now act like one of these kids who have the limited power of Thor, Mm -hmm. but it was just so cool to see all these kids and be able to give them the chance to see that they truly can also be, you know, heroes. And, and again, this is a fictional world and it's a fictional film and stuff like that. But I think as, you know, adults, we can see that there is something really, you know, innocent, but powerful about kids having that mm-hmm. confidence and hope that they can be heroes and be able to see it on screen. I know my son's definitely going to love that, especially the, the scene where the girl has the bunny using the bunny as the yeah. weapon. <laughs> yeah. Um, that part was so good. <laughs> Oh, so good. Yeah. And, and I will say this as well, too, is what's really cool. And I got to give a shout out to, uh, JT from the East Coast Avengers, who was telling me this right after I watched the, the movie, cause I thought this was probably the case, but he confirmed it for me. Um, is that the kids in that, um, scene were actually kids of the cast and crew. And I think, um, mm-hmm. the, the daughter of Gore is also Chris Hemsworth's daughter. So yep. a lot of the kids were actually kids from the people people who are either in the movie or worked on the movie. So I think it's really cool to be able to see that, you know, those are like the really cool connections to be able to see the kids, you know, feel like they're superheroes, not just on screen, but they had that moment where Mm -hmm. they can like have that for the rest of their life. And I think it's really cool for them to see that. So, and, Mm -hmm. and I know, you know, again, when I watch with my son, I'm going to point out to him that the girl that's, you know, flying in the end of the movie with Thor is, you know, Chris Hemsworth's actual daughter. And no, he's yeah. going to think the same thing about us. He's like, oh, you and me could be, you know, superheroes too, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, yeah. yeah. That's so, so but yeah, cool. I, I love that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So what was the other top moment of the film? Uh, so real quick, I just want to say about the kids again is. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. But uh, like you were saying, so love uh, the adopted daughter at the end that is chris hemsworth actual daughter and then right. in the crowd of kids uh uh christian bale's son is in there and both right. of natalie portman's kids are in there i don't i don't know specifically oh, which cool. ones they are but yeah, yeah they're all in there so i thought that was great and like you were saying too i thought it was also great how you know usually when you know kids are taken in the movie it's like kind of similar to like you know when women are you know taken like the damsel in distress like oh you know, we have to go save the kids, which I mean, obviously save the kids. But I love like you were saying <laughs> how it's like, you know, they don't necessarily need to be saved in the end. They save themselves like they get mm-hmm. power and they're able to, you know, they're put in this situation of helplessness. But then at the end, Thor gives them the power to take that back and, you know, uh, uh, basically free themselves. So, yeah, right. I agree with everything you're saying. And I like I said, I love that moment. But moving on, yeah. <laughs> that was my last thing. Moving on, though, my next favorite part, which, again, kind of goes back to what we've already talked about, but it has to be the Lady Thor, Mighty Thor moment when Mm -hmm. uh, when Mighty Thor, Jane Foster, comes in on the Pegasus and she starts battling with Gore and he calls her Lady Thor. And we get Mm -hmm. the 
greatest moment. Like this is another moment that is like, while it's badass, it also really kind of honestly made me emotional. And she goes, first of all, it's mighty Thor. Second of all, (laughs) if you can't say mighty Thor, I'll also accept Dr. Jane Foster. And then she ends it off with the, with the tagline that eat my hammer, which is hilarious. Yeah. But I just that oh, that scene was just so badass, and again, it just kind of hit mm-hmm. me personally in a special place because I've literally had that exact conversation with multiple people on Twitter and you know in real life as well, arguing right. over you know oh well she can't be Thor like she's Lady Thor like you know that's disrespectful to you know Thor Odinson. And just to right. see that in the movie and her to be like, <laughs> no, it's mighty Thor. And like I said, yeah. the Dr. Jane Foster was like the icing on the cake for that. And like I said, it kind of, oh, yeah. honestly, it made me a little emotional. And like I said, just to see this character that I've been campaigning for, for lack of a better word, for so long. And like, you know, I'm not saying I'm the only Jane fan out there. Obviously, I'm not. She, you know, she's a great character, has a lot of fans. But Mm -hmm. someone, a character that I felt I've had to, you know, go to bat for for a long time now and to see that on screen. And, you know, obviously people will have their opinions on it. They're still going to say, oh, well, she's not Thor whatever. I don't Mm -hmm. care to see that on screen, to see Natalie Portman deliver those lines and for the movie to solidify like, no, she is mighty Thor. Yeah, it was it was just awesome. And that was probably the highlight for me. It was just I can't talk enough about it on. Well, and and for those who are saying that, you know, she needs to be called Lady Thor because that's disrespectful of of, um, you know, for the original Thor or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. What they're not realizing is that women, you know, for generations and for centuries have always been dismissed by being, you know, kind of giving them a label that's other than right mm-hmm. so, so lady four is really a title that kind of disrespects women because it makes them feel like they're other than or less than in that regard yeah. and so for those who are saying that i would always push back and be like well why does it have to be lady four you know why not mighty four is, is as an, an alternative one where it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with gender because again it just happens to be jane foster but it could have been you know somebody like another you know man like uh um, what's his face in the comics was um, War Thor, right? Um, yeah, Volstag. Uh, yes, Volstag was mm-hmm. War Thor. You know, it was like, yeah. I mean, there's like Volstag. no one had a problem with that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's so. Volstag, there's Red Norvell. He was Thor for a minute. There's Eric Masterson. Yeah. Bill. <laughs> there's been plenty of people to take on the mantle of Thor in the books. And like you said, no one talks about Red Norville. No one brings up Eric <laughs> Masterson, but everyone yeah. has a problem with Jane. I wonder yeah. why, right? Like I, <laughs> I, I don't want to yeah. be that guy, but it's like, I have to be, you know? I know. Well, and, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's having these, conversations and discourse that really does impact, you know, how do we see these things in our own culture and society as well too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, and that was great. Like, I love that. And I love to eat, eat my hammer line. <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to pick your brain though, since we've been talking about that. So there was mm-hmm. that moment in the movie where she says, Oh, I think I came up with a good slogan and she whispers to him, but she, I don't think she ever, you know, tells the audience what it is. Mm-hmm. What do you think she said? Do you have any guesses or anything? <laughs> 
I mean, if you don't, that's fine. I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, the the list is long. I mean, it could have been, <laughs> I it could have been something very meaningful, but I think it also could have just been another, you know, a joke between them. But right. honestly, my real takeaway from that is, I personally, I think that was supposed to be kind of a nod to the the Nick Fury in uh, what's it called Original Sin when. Uh, Nick Fury mm. whispers to Thor. Yes, that's exactly it, what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah so he went, well, we find out later on, he says Gore was right. But for a yeah. long time, we don't know what Fury said to Thor. And while this mm. is obviously a way different context and, you know, it has nothing to do with that, I think it was just kind of a nod to that. Like, we're not right. supposed to know. It's something that she whispers to him and he's going to take that. And while in the books, it's something that makes him unworthy. I think whatever mm-hmm. she said to him is supposed to enforce his worthiness. You know, he's going to take whatever right. she did say to him. He's going to take that with him. And that's going to, you know, be a source of power and or, you know, love for be- lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that's my well, sense on it. Yeah. No, and you're exactly right. Cause that's exactly what I was thinking of when I saw that part, I was like, Oh, this is taken straight out from the comics where we didn't know, you know, what, you know, um, what Fury said to Thor that made him unworthy to like, mm-hmm. you know, kickstart that whole thing too. So yeah, I was just curious because at the end of the movie, it was like, Oh yeah, we never find out. And, and, and again, we don't have to know every single detail that happens in these yeah. things. Right. I think a lot of people get hung up with it. And, and I know sometimes I get hung up with things. I'm like, Oh, I would, I really want to know what this was about, but it's like, yeah, we don't need to know yeah. like all the details and, and all that. So I think it's um, similar to, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, that's right. I think it's similar to the in Endgame with captain America, when Sam asks him about Peggy and he's like, Oh, you want to tell me about it? And he goes, <laughs> he's like, no, I don't think I will. I think it's I kind of a but part <laughs> Like I said, part of me is just like, why not? Though? Yeah. Like, that's the fight I never understood. It's like, me, why Steve. wouldn't you tell, tell me? Yeah. <laughs> I know. If I was Sam, I'd be like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Uh, yeah. But no, I think oh, yeah. it's just supposed to be kind of a sweet thing. Like, you know, that's something that Cap took for himself. Like, he doesn't right. need to share that. It's something that he holds on for himself. I think right. similarly here, it's kind of a parallel. You know, it doesn't really matter what Jane said. It's the fact that her and Thor have that to share and like Thor right. has that for himself now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So for me, just as you said, the kids and the superheroes was an awesome scene. Um, I love how they use Mjolnir and Stormbreaker as like jealous exes. <laughs> yes. That was so I, funny. <laughs> that was funny. That was genius. I think it, it was just hysterical. Just how they were able to do that. Like so mm-hmm. many times I, I cracked up every single time they did that, you know? Yeah. So it was really great. Um, one thing that I really love in terms of the cinematography is the shadow realm and the battle that took place there. Beautiful. I was just floored. Yes. I was just floored at how they, you know, utilize colored so well to not only go, you know, completely black and white, but then when they started using their weapons, then it adds a little bit of light. But then even when you see the battle that happens like across the globe, just the fact that they were able to make that happen where you kind of see everybody, you know, kind of running around um, mm-hmm. that small little sphere and everything. It was, it was that whole scene was just fantastically done in terms of all the action, all the coloring, all the visual effects, like everything was just really well done. I bet you they probably storyboard that, you know, probably one of the 
longest pieces they had to storyboard because that was just done so well yeah that I, that I think it's going to be a highlight of the movie for a long time because even when it was in the trailer like it piqued everyone's interest about why mm-hmm. are they like black and white you know but it was just it was it piqued my interest and I was really interested in it, but just the whole scene just ended up blowing me away in terms of how great it looked and how they can utilize the colors and the absence of mm-hmm. to really tell a story very well. And I think it was just, it was beautifully done. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I agree all around. And I thought it was uh, to me, the shadow realm sequence, at least personally with the whole, like you were saying the the use of color, but also the not use of color, like not having color. It reminded me of a comic book. Like there's a lot of books out there that I think use color in very interesting ways. And the way that Mm -hmm. color is used in comics, I think we all know is very important to how the story is being told. And like, yeah. Yeah. And like you were saying the way that Taika, or I don't know if I want to give him all the credit, you know, whoever storyboarded it, the whole team involved, I think mm-hmm. did a really good job with, like you said, using not only color, but the absence of color to really make that a really dynamic scene and really right. accentuate like a, the shadow monsters. And mm-hmm. it was just, it was a beautiful scene. And I also loved it too, for the kind, at least I, this is how I took it kind of a meta joke of, I'm sure we've all heard the criticism of like, Oh, MCU movies are so gray. Like they're so dull. And he's like, okay, that, let me let me make an entire. That is probably sequence. something you did, yeah. I say, let me make an entire sequence that's black and white. Like, what are you gonna yeah. do now? And it and it turns out to be one of the best sequences of the movie. You know, so yeah. I love oh, yeah. it for that part too. Oh yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. man, it was so good. Well, and and um, just one thing to add on there, what I thought was really interesting about the shadow monsters, since we're talking about that, is how much they kind of look like the monsters from Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, one of them looked do. like the mind flayer, you yeah, know. So I, I, I thought, thought it was really too. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, damn, they got the mind flayer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So those are my favorite moments. What are some of the criticisms about the film that you might have? So criticisms uh kind of alluded to this earlier, but I will say mm-hmm. I think the runtime and the I I don't necessarily think pacing is the right word because at mm-hmm. least in my opinion, I think with the time allotted, the pace goes as it needs to go. But right. I I would say, like I said, I really do think that the film would have benefited from maybe an extra 15, 20 minutes. And I think mm-hmm. what those, and if you're asking my opinion, I think what those 20 minutes should have been would probably be a little bit more gore, uh, let, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more of Christian Bale. And mm-hmm. I would also say maybe a little bit more of uh, the Eternity and uh, Bifrost because mm-hmm. I, while I like where they went with that and I, I was totally interested, I did think we could have used a little bit more explanation on, you know, the whole Eternity and getting to Eternity. I thought that could have, like, obviously we're not going to get into all of that. That's probably something that's going to come a lot later. But mm-hmm. just a little bit more explanation of like, okay, well, why the Bifrost? Like, why right. is that the key to eternity? And not only that, but so if the Bifrost has been the key to eternity this whole time, you're telling me nobody knew that? Like, Odin didn't right. know that? Like, yeah. Thor didn't know that? So, like I said, while... Why did no I, one know that? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, I, while I don't think it's a problem or like a plot hole, per se, I think there's still yet 
things yet to be revealed of that. I do mm-hmm. think, again, maybe a little extra time, maybe even just an extra part of dialogue would have helped give a little bit more uh, flesh to that idea, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think it's, it's interesting because um, since you brought that up, I think it's interesting on two levels is that you're totally right. It's not a pacing issue. It's a detail issue. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a kind of a story issue in terms of allowing the audience to know some of those intricacies. And I think in comics, we call that reading between the panels, right? Is that yeah. you don't give all the details, but you just know enough just to know what's going on in the next story. And I think, you know, with everything that we've been experiencing with the MCU in the last 14 years is that we're expecting so much more because they're putting out more and more that we just want every little detail that we just want to, you know, kind of, you know, gobble it up and everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's what it is. You nailed on the head. It's not a pacing because pacing was actually pretty good, but mm-hmm. it was that it didn't develop a whole lot and that it's more reminiscent of a comic book of like, you had to read between the panels a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the, but the other thing that you were, excuse me, that you were saying as well too, um, it slipped my mind actually. So if I remember, I'll come back to it and, and bring <laughs> that up. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it, it was that part that was going on and, and, um, yeah. So what what was the other criticism that you had of the film? Uh pacing. Um no, I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I'm trying yeah. to think of other negatives I had really. Um like I said, the really the pacing and the timing was kind of my biggest thing. I think a, any other criticism I can really give all kind of comes back to that original one. If there was just a you right. know extra like I said, 15, 20 minutes. And like we were talking about, I'm also like a realist. Like, you know, we're not, I know we're not going to have a three hour Thor movie. So I was right. like, <laughs> I'm not saying when I say extra time, I'm not talking about like, you know, an hour extra or anything. I'm like maybe one extra line of dialogue or maybe one extra scene I think could have done a lot to move things forward. And kind of similarly too, I had the same criticism of Dr. Strain, uh, multiverse of madness. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, there were some things, especially like with the dark hold, maybe just one extra scene to give a little context. And I think it would have helped a lot of people understand things a lot better. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here are my two biggest criticisms of the film. And again, this was, I just watched this hours ago. So these are the two like, takeaways that I have. I'm sure, you know, after some more time, I'm like, oh, there's probably another, you know, two or three things I probably have um, issues with. But the first thing that was really distracting for me is Russell Crowe actually did a pretty good job of portraying Zeus, but his accent sounded a lot more like Colossus from Deadpool. Like every time he talked, <laughs> a little I was bit, just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, it, it, it just sounded a lot like him, you mm-hmm. know? So I don't know what was going on, but I mean, other than that, like I thought Russell Crowe did a really good job mm-hmm. of portraying Zeus in that light of what they were trying to get with. And, and, and so it's not a criticism with Russell Crowe, um ability in that movie per se but it was just the accent sounded off for whatever reason yeah. that was like the closest i could come up with it was like sounds like colossus from deadpool yeah i'm not an yeah. expert on greek accents <laughs> but you know i i just yeah. was like all right he, which i like i said i don't know i can't say if his greek accent was like accurate not accurate i don't you know i'm not yeah. very knowledgeable like that but i will say right. i did appreciate that he did an accent at all i feel like most depictions yeah. of zeus and all that like they're never have Greek accents, which is like, right. <laughs> why would they not, you know? And I'll oh, say yeah, too, yeah. I think, I think uh, while it's hilarious, I think Russell Crowe probably gave us the most 
accurate Zeus depiction of any media before. Like if you, you know, (laughs) any mythology nerds out there, you know, Zeus is a, not a good guy. And he's a, you know, he's a horn, he's a horn dog. He's a (laughs) kind of a sleaze ball. So I thought Russell Crowe's depiction of him was actually really good. And, you know, Mm -hmm. deeper that whole, you know, Gore's whole antithesis, like, are right. gods worth it? Like gods do not care about you. And I thought that oh, yeah. he exemplified that perfectly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that, that whole thing. Yeah. I agree. Um, the other thing that I took issue with is that I know they wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, Thor, um, you know, his depression and how that was connected to worthiness and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I don't think the explanation was really needed in this movie because they, they hinted how he was struggling and how he was sad at the beginning, but then it never really came through in the entire film until the very end where, you know, uh, Korg says that Thor went from sad God to um, happy God or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. what he said and all that, but you know, they, they never really went through and showed that sort of, character emotion of that worthiness and everything. And so I think that was some of the parts where they touch on those things, but it never really carried through. So I think Thor's development in this movie mm-hmm. wasn't that um, wasn't that deep and didn't really make a whole lot of development from the beginning to the end. I don't think, um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you had talked about a little bit in terms that. of, yeah, you had to talk a little bit about like how we solved that from the beginning with, you know, some of those moments where you start, you know, like crying and, and all that. But I, I think after that moment, it was just like, it, then it never came back again, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was just like, it was almost like it was resolved or that he was distracted. But again, if you're going to introduce that idea, it needs to be a trait in terms of like, why does that, you know, need to carry through and why does that motivate um, the character? And it's just, it never really carried through through the mm-hmm. entire film. And so that was one thing I'm like, I, I think it may have been something that they've changed along the way. And they're just like, you know, it's good enough, <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah. um, it was just something that I think they probably could have just, I don't know. They're just trying to figure out like how to tie it all together with the guardians of the galaxy and all that. But it was just something that I thought was just kind of odd that, you know, we got that at the beginning and then we never saw it again yeah. you know, through the rest of the film. So I yeah. definitely can see that. I will say though, I, not that I disagree with you, but mm-hmm. like you were talking about, I think it, uh, some of that comes down to like how you said it before reading between the panels or the pages. Right. And I think right. a lot of that, kind of shift from his more depression to like being accepting, you know what I mean? Of, Mm -hmm. I guess his emotions, if you would say, I think a lot Mm -hmm. of that hinges on the scene of him and Jane on the boat when they're traveling to the shadow realm and they have that uh, conversation. I forget exactly what he says. I've only seen it once so far, but he says something along the lines of like, you know, loving you made me worthy and like love my love for you makes me worthy and like you know and just basically professing his love to her and i think Mm -hmm. that kind of goes back to what we were talking about the theme of love and worthiness i think throughout in the beginning we see him with the guardians and he's still you know moping and kind of depressed and i think throughout the course of this film seeing jane again seeing her with seeing milnir again all that i think is what is bringing him to the other side of that. And while like, right. I agree with you though, I think they could have done a little bit more to make it more obvious of, you right. know, his kind of shift. But like yeah. I said, I, in my opinion, I think a lot of that comes from that one scene. And if, you know, 
you got to kind of read between the lines a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. All right. So let's talk about Easter eggs that we saw in the film. Cause I know you and I had a conversation about this in Twitter in terms of the Easter eggs that we saw. So I want to mm-hmm. kick off to you first. What are some of the Easter eggs that you saw that you really enjoyed in this movie? So first and foremost, I got to give a shout to my man, Daryl. I was so happy. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy to see Daryl. I, I have, I bookmarked it cause I had to go back and look for it, but I made a tweet like a long time ago and I was like, you know what, with all this, with the snap and, you know, the events of Endgame and all mm-hmm. the, and the breaking of the multiverse, all this stuff. I was like, I just hope Daryl's doing all right. Like throughout right. all this stuff. And I was so happy to see my man's in new Asgard and just knowing like, he's okay. He made it through the snap. Mm-hmm. He survived all that. And now he's just chilling on new Asgard being a tour guide. And right. I, I love that. <laughs> if anybody out there who doesn't know what I'm talking about, go check out the Thor. Uh, I think it was civil war or Ragnarok, the one shots. Uh, yeah. Which the is one all shots. on Disney plus. Yeah. Yep. The yeah. Thor and, and his roommate, Daryl. So that, mm-hmm. like I said, I love that. It was a fun little nod for, you know, those who know. Yeah. And there was that, a second one with uh grandmaster as well, too. Yes. Yep. Or yeah. <laughs> word grandmaster. Yeah. Um, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character. Yeah. I would say, was he in the movie? I didn't see him. Did I miss him? No, he, they did a one shot. So this, this was oh, taking place yeah, yeah. after. Okay, yeah. yeah. The one shot. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, sorry, exactly. I got so confused like, for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sorry. So yeah, and mm-hmm. what the one shot they did a one shot where Grandmaster lived with Daryl as well yeah. too, <laughs> yep. after Thor moved on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, so, I anyway, thought you were sorry. talking yeah. about the movie. My bad. <laughs> no, no, my bad. No, that's my fault. Yeah. So I meant a one shot uh, with yeah. Grandmaster and Daryl. Yep, yep. But uh, yeah, so Daryl probably the first egg that I noticed and loved. Uh, the next one that I can think of uh, in the temple, so Eternity's Temple. So before, mm-hmm. I think we talked about this on the last episode a little bit, but, uh, you know, we see the statues for Lady Death. We see um, Infinity. We see Eon. We see a Watcher. We saw, we saw all that in the trailer. But mm-hmm. the one that I did catch in the movie that we did not see in the trailer is there is a statue for a Celestial. And it's the mm-hmm. celestial head that almost falls on the kids. Right. And yes. that, that was, uh, that's the celestial form of um, the one above all. So right. that, so we got a nod to the one above all, which I thought was super cool. I kind of freaked mm-hmm. out for a second there. <laughs> um, and then I, I mean, there was a bunch of eggs for sure in the, not Olympus, uh, omnipotent city. There was right. a bunch of those gods. Uh, the one, I don't know if it's confirmed or not, but I'm pretty sure that was the dragon from Shang-Chi. I That's forget, what I was thinking too. Yeah. yeah, I forget the name of the Great Protector. I'm almost positive that was the Great Protector in there. Yeah. So yeah we got that's what that. I was thinking. Yeah, we got that. We got an Aztec god in there. And we, mm-hmm. know, we know Namor is coming. That, uh, what's it called? The concept art was just released. So mm-hmm. that's getting going. And Bayo uh, is in there. <laughs> yeah, Ao. Yep. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else. Uh, oh, yeah. Boss. We saw Boss in there. The Panther guy. Oh, Black oh, Panther. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. I, I Bass. Boss. You, yeah. When you said Boss, I was thinking B O S S, and and uh, immediately my mind went into the 
the wrestling in 1980s, the yeah. boss. <laughs> yeah, excuse, excuse my pronunciation. It might be completely wrong. Yeah, but, I think uh, it's Bass. Yeah, if I remember correctly, I could I could be wrong too. But yeah, yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And for, mean, the, and for those who didn't know, Bayo Bayo is that dumpling, which was a <laughs> nod to a Disney short that I think uh-huh. won awards and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. He's like the guy. Oh, that was great. Yeah, exactly. uh, Yeah, I mean, that's really the only eggs I will say. I don't know if this is necessarily an egg, but uh, the I have a theory on love. Uh, Thor's adopted daughter. Do you want to? Should we get into that now, or should I wait for that? I think that would be good for the what lies ahead section that we'll do right after this. Yeah. Okay, cool. So So I'll leave it for that then. But yeah, those are really the major eggs I think I picked up on. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and there are two that I'm going to add on to this as well too, is in one, I only caught this because my wife and I went after we watched the movie, we came back and started watching Miss Marvel because he hasn't seen any of that yet. Mm-hmm. But in the first episode of Miss Marvel at AvengerCon, there is actually a pamphlet for Asgard tours. For, mm-hmm. or tours for new Asgard, which as we know in the movie, like they were doing those and then they used the, the ship to travel in that said yeah. Asgard's tours on this side of it. So <laughs> I thought it was actually a really cool tie-in mm-hmm. that they did there. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was really interesting is that when they were in the realm with Eternity, it was very reminiscent of the Soul Stone. And I don't know much about Eternity from the comics at all. So I don't know if there is a connection mm-hmm. to that at all or anything like that. But it just seems really interesting that they made that parallel to make it seem like it a whole lot. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's just a coincidence, um, if it's just like easier to kind of do it that way in a yeah. sense, or if there is a connection that might come later for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I definitely noticed that too. There's definitely strong similarities to both. And, mm-hmm. and from my knowledge, and I'm going to say this right now, I am not a cosmic Marvel expert by any means. But right. from my knowledge, eternity, eternity is basically like the physical embodiment of the universe as a whole. And right. okay. so I would I don't know if he has like a direct connection with the soul stone. But I mean, just the fact that he basically is the universe, he has an innate connection with all the stones, I would say. Right. and. What I'll say about, like you said, the similarities between the soul, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, the soul realm, if you will, and then where we see eternity. I think a lot of this is going to be stuff that we've yet to see and not necessarily Mm -hmm. what we get to see, but I think it's an explanation that's kind of being worked out at Marvel because I think right now there's kind of a little bit confusion on the differences between dimensions realms and then universes <laughs> right yes so it's like which gets you, confusing real quick when you try yes, to explain that yeah it gets very confusing but so you I, to kind of summarize it quickly you have obviously the nine realms or ten mm-hmm. realms if you're going from the books which is like Elfheim, Muspelheim, uh Asgard all that crap and then right. you also have dimensions and then dimensions are things like Talo the and Shang-Chi, we have the mirror dimension, and then uh, recently, spoilers for Moon Knight, but we have the uh, the Duat in mm-hmm. in Moon Knight, and also the ancestral plane in Black Panther. So mm-hmm. those, I would, I this is my classification. I would classify those as dimensions, 
separate right. from realms. And then right. we also, obviously, from Multiverse of Madness, we have our different universes, 616, mm-hmm. 838, blah, 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 blah. So I right. think with these similarities, what, what they decide to designate the soul realm that we see, whether it's a realm or a dimension, I think that's right. going to kind of answer a lot of questions on what the eternity dimension is. And I think mm-hmm. that's where the similarities are going to come is, like I said, that kind of designation on, <clears throat> excuse me, if they're realms versus universes. And also with Miss Marvel, we just got another, uh, what I would say, dimension, but they, yeah. in the show, they call it a realm. So that's why yeah. I say I think that there's kind of not misunderstanding over on Marvel's side. I think it's just something that they haven't really hammered down yet. Mm-hmm. But I, like I said, I think that's kind of where the distinction comes from. So I would say that the eternity dimension or whatever and the soul dimension are related. They are on like a similar wavelength, if you will, but right. just kind of on different paths, if you would. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, talk I know about. That was like a super nerdy explanation, and I no, went no, no, balls the wall a bit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, and that's totally fine. I think you know, just like we said, because there's a lot kind of going on. I think you know, it hasn't really been revealed like how that relationship forms yet, because they haven't mm-hmm. done kind of like a story explanation. Um, we just don't know what that is because, just like you said, like the way I understood universe and dimensions and realms are kind of you know just within each other basically. So you got the mm-hmm. universe, and then you got the realms are kind of like more, you know, linearly in a sense, you know, they're yeah. kind of in that universe, but they're in different, you know, spaces in that. Mm-hmm. And then the you know, realms are kind of inside each, uh, or I'm sorry, the dimensions are inside of each realm, but they're like, you know, kind of like metaphysical. Parallel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Almost parallel. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So let's, let's talk a little bit that now that this movie has come out, um, what is going to lie ahead for the characters in this movie, but also for the MCU as a, as a whole. So again, I'll kick it off to you and then I'll add in my last sense, but anything that you think, you know, that we might see based on mm-hmm. what we've seen in this movie, the end credits and what we know that's coming out in the future. So let's go. Okay. I got, <laughs> I got some stuff here. Okay. So if, this is what I obviously I don't know anything more than anybody else. This is just from my knowledge of the books and where I think, you know, things could go for these movies based on what we've seen. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, I mean, we saw at the end Thor will return. So we know Thor is coming back. And I right. also will say just really quickly, it is not specified Thor Odinson. It just says Thor. So right. Doesn't mean that it necessarily is going to be Chris Hemsworth, but I mean, we know Hemsworth is for sure coming back. Right. I think where this is going to lead is I think we're headed toward War of the Realms. And I think if we do get a Thor 5, that's what they're going to loosely adapt is this War mm-hmm. of the Realms. But where the differences come is I think that instead, so in the books, the War of the Realms is he- is uh, headed up by Malekith, who's the leader of the Dark Elves. And right. for those who don't know, we got Malekith in the Dark World. Not, you know, not great. We'll just move past that. But so for the <laughs> MCU version of War of the Realms, I think instead of the Dark Elves leading this fight, I think it's going to be Zeus. And I think it's going to be more of a war, like War of the Gods, if you would. Mm-hmm. And we're going right. to have Zeus and Herc kind of kick it off. And because we know with the end credit scene that we're getting Hercules. And for those mm-hmm. who don't know, Thor versus Hercules is like 
one of the classic Thor matchups that there is in the books. I would say even more so than like Thor versus Hulk. I'm pretty sure. Oh, even, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I want to say I, I'd have to look at it really quickly, but I want to say the first solo Thor issue was him fighting Hercules. So right. Thor versus no, it's Hercules. Just, it's just funny because usually you hear people talk about the greatest matchup of like figuring out who's the strongest is mm-hmm. always between Thor and Hulk. So Exactly. Yeah, I would say Hercules is right there. And uh, mm-hmm. so we're for sure getting that. And I think that is is what's going to set up this kind of war of the realms and like i said instead of it being dark elves it's going to be head up by these different pantheons and Mm -hmm. we also know from moon knight which again spoilers for those who haven't seen moon knight we see that the gods of the egyptian pantheon we see that they already have beef with their mortals they're like Mm -hmm. they forgot about us they don't care about us so you know what screw them we don't care about them and at the end of this movie we hear a very similar sentiment from zeus he said, mm-hmm. I forget exactly what he says, but, you know, something along the lines of, oh, people don't pray for rain or for, you know, crops anymore. They only pray to their superheroes. So I think that there's a kind of beef between gods and superheroes and mortals already brewing. So, mm-hmm. again, I think that's kind of where we're going to be headed is this kind of War of the Realms adaptation. Yeah, that's and interesting. On top of that, too, I think uh, Jane Foster is for sure coming back. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I would love for her to come back as Mighty Thor. But if I'm going to if I'm a betting man and I'm putting money on it, I'm saying she's coming back as Valkyrie. So which is how she came back in War of the Realms. Yeah, exactly. So in War of the Realms and in the books, that's she dies as Mighty Thor, but she then comes back as Valkyrie. And I think with the end credit scene of them showing her in Valhalla, I think that's what they're alluding to is that not only will she be back, but she's going to be back as a Valkyrie. And I would say I will bet my bottom dollar. We are going to get a Valkyrie project with uh, Tessa Thompson and Natalie Portman starring, Mm -hmm. whether it's a show or a movie. I don't, I don't know. And frankly, I don't really care. I just I think like especially after seeing this movie, their dynamic on screen is undeniable. And I think that after people see this movie and see that, I think a Valkyrie, like I said, series or show with both of them as Valkyrie is a no brainer. Like that's all the money right there. Yeah. So I would love to see. I mean, I don't think they had the same kind of chemistry as. um uh, Black Widow and uh, Hawkeye, Kate, you know, Kate Bishop mm-hmm. and um, uh, Yelena, because oh, I think everybody wants to see that show. Yeah, that was, I mean, mm-hmm. I think everybody loved that. But just like what you said, I think their their chemistry and their relationship with each other was just fantastic. That I would not, you know, complain by any means of seeing them on screen together, whether it's a movie or a series. And so, but yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's what I told my wife about how Jane actually comes back from heaven and like i thought um i thought heimdall was actually going to say you know when he said like you know you can join us here in valhalla and i thought he was going to mm-hmm. say or and kind of leave it on or. a cliffhanger so i was yeah so i was kind of like oh that's weird because yeah. i i had to tell my wife who you know she was upset that you know jana died and everything and she did she didn't like that at all but then i told her that there's a good chance you might be coming back because that's exactly what happened mm-hmm. in the comics and then and now remind me because I, I know you you know again you had suggested the comics to me um was it in the jason Aaron uh, realm or, or the Jason Aaron run where when she comes back immediately after o- Odin helped uh, bring her back from the dead, like did she become Valkyrie then or did she come 
become Valkyrie like a little bit later on, closer to War Realms? Um, if memory serves correctly, it was almost almost immediately. It was okay. like I because I thought she was still Thor for some reason, but maybe I I just yeah. misremembering that. So she was Thor. Odin brings her back, and then I think it's in uh, the kind of conclusion of the of that issue. They mm-hmm. show her in the hospital, and the I forget what the her Valkyrie hammer is called, but that like basically comes to her, and it kind of leaves off like she's gonna be Valkyrie, and then her Valkyrie series came like right after that, which answered a lot okay. more of those questions. Right. But uh, but yeah, so it was like almost immediate that she became Valkyrie in the books. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to go back and, and look at that again. But um, yeah, okay, that's good. What what else? do you think is coming up ahead for us? So another thing I got, and this is just my own crackpot theory, tinfoil hat <laughs> time. So, you know, yeah. I could be completely off base with this, but I'm sticking to it. So mm-hmm. I have a theory going, I think so at the end of the movie, we were uh, kind of talked about this a little bit, but at the end of the movie, uh, Gore, basically eternity, like they talk about in the movie is a wishing well, and it like grants you right. a wish, right? <laughs> And right. Gore ends up wishing for his daughter to come back to life. Right. And when uh, she walks up and in the reflection of the water, when she first appears, she is outlined like eternity. Like you see like the universe right. inside of her. And not only right. that, but you also, when Korg is given his monologue at the end of the movie, he calls her a child of eternity. Mm-hmm. So my theory and what I'm kind of working with is I think that love is also empathy and what okay. empathy is, is so empathy is one of eternity's children and mm-hmm. uh, part of what's called the seven friendless. And that's mm-hmm. basically just a group of, you know, cosmic children, more or less. There's empathy. There's uh, I want to say there's, you know, hate and, you know, it's like emotions kind of, I don't know them all by name, but Basically, mm-hmm. they're all like emotions of the universe, more or less. Right. And right. so my thinking is when Gore accepts love, he therefore rejects his hate for gods. And he mm-hmm. like Thor says he accepts love. So mm-hmm. when he does that, <clears throat> eternity creates empathy. And mm-hmm. that empathy is what was created from gore choosing love because at the end of the day what is love if not empathy and not only Mm -hmm. that but i think empathy also is like like thor says in the movie he was looking for love gore you know everyone's looking for love but also i think that's what thor showed gore to change his mind at the end he showed him empathy and it's the Mm -hmm. one thing that gore didn't never got from his other guy when he first met his other god he was like oh you're a freaking idiot man like what are you talking about? He didn't, he had no empathy for this person who, you know, devoted his entire life, lost everything. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I think that when this happened, eternity being it's, you know, cosmic, you know, genius that it is through those actions created empathy. And I think that through uh, going forward, that's why love has the powers that she has. And I think it's going to kind of open the doors for more of these cosmic beings and more of the, you know, kind of cosmic nature of the MCU, such as the living tribunal and more answers to kind of what eternity is and all, mm-hmm. you know, eon, all of that kind of stuff. 
Gotcha. Okay. I don't cool. have all the pieces, but like I said, that's <laughs> kind of my blueprint. And I'll also say too, I, this is another one I've heard. This isn't my uh, personal one, but mm-hmm. I've also seen, uh, uh, I want to say new rock stars, shout out to them, love their channel. But um, they said that uh, she could be mistress love, which is also another kind of cosmic entity of the universe, which I think, you know, kind of fits better because her name's love. But I'm sticking with empathy. I'm I'm gonna stick with empathy. That's where I'm going. Right. With it. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So I think the only two things I'll add here is that um, for those of you who don't know, the Necrosword actually has a lot of connection for uh, Spider-Man because it has a connection to Null, who is the god of the symbiotes, yes. and. And they didn't really leave it open because it seems like the, the Necrosword was completely uh, destroyed. So I don't think there is any going to be any like really connection to it moving forward necessarily. But we do know that in Spider-Man No Way Home, Ven- a piece of Venom was left behind in our MCU Earth. And so we know that's probably going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of curious to see if the Necrosword is going to have any corner, any kind of connection to Venom by any means whatsoever. Um, but I'm also going to go out here and say that I've actually had this wild idea that was just kind of like a, a theory that I'm just like, I'm going to throw this out there, but I don't really think this is what's going on. But the more that I'm seeing some of these projects, the more I'm wondering like if this is actually might be something that might be happening. And what I noticed in this movie is that at the beginning, Star-Lord was a little bit different. Like he seemed like he was a little bit chummier with uh, Thor than he was that we've seen in um, Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. And and he, it was just, a, it seemed like a, just a little bit of a different person. Like, yeah, he kind of got annoyed with him a couple of times, but there was just some, you know, like the fact that when Thor was doing his little speech, he was like, yes, you know, let's do it. Like, yeah. I, I thought that was kind of odd. Uh-huh. And Stiff was a little bit different as well, too. Like, she was a little bit more dramatic and comedic when she was saying that, you know, I'm going to die so I can go to Valhalla. <laughs> and Thor's like, well, you know, the battle's already taken place, so you're not actually yeah. going to die. She's like, oh, crap, you know, like, very comedic. It, it just seemed like personality-wise, it was, it was very different than what we've experienced. And so my theory has been that since Endgame has happened, or actually, let me go a little bit ahead of that. Since the events that happened in WandaVision and Loki, where the uh, sacred timeline has been splitting and then we're getting mm-hmm. to the mul- multiversal war, whatever that's going to be. Right. Yeah. My theory that's again, crazy. I don't really think this is going to happening, but I kind of see the pieces could be there is that every project, including the Disney plus shows and the movies that we're getting are actually all in a very different universe that yes, they all have that prior connection to everything that's happening in game and before. Mm-hmm. but they're all in a different universe and that what's happening in like, let's say Hawkeye is not the same, you know, universe that we see in Spider-Man No Way Home and, and so on and so forth. And so my theory has been like, you know, a lot of people have been alluding that this might be a secret war saying where you have like all these, you know, universes that are having to combine or whatever to come together and all that. We know that the multiversal war is the thing that was introduced in Loki that maybe mm-hmm. that's what's happening. And then we somehow find out that, they're all, you know, separated and then they all have to come together as some, you know, event or whatever to be able to fight off the, you know, the the more significant evil that's out there. So, again, mm-hmm. a crazy theory I that like I have that. that. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that's where they're going, but it's like every film and show I watch, I'm like, there is something to be said about that, though. Mm-hmm. You know, like so 
like I mentioned Hawkeye and Spider-Man before a lot of people talked about how Spider-Man was swinging through, you know, uh, New York on Christmas and stuff like that, but you don't see the mm-hmm. fight with Hawkeye. Well, that could explain yeah. why you don't see that, you know? So, mm-hmm. Hey man, yeah. it's, it's out there, but I like it. I'm all for it. <laughs> hey, I'm all for a crazy theory, man. And yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. why the hell not? I, I will say, <laughs> I will say though, I think that you like, while I don't know if that's going to pan out, I will right. say though, I think you are on the right track though. It's not as crazy as it might sound. I right. <laughs> personally, I was just, I was just talking to a, another friend uh, a little bit ago about this, but he thinks, and I agree with him as well. I think with this new phase that's going on, I think mm-hmm. instead of with like the infinity saga, right. It was like, mm-hmm. everything was leading up to end game, obviously right. and infinity war. I think that in this new phase, it seems like we're going to have more multiple storyline. Like we've always had multiple storylines, right? But I think we're Mm going to have a little bit more contained separate storylines. So like, for example, we have, you know, the stuff going on with Wanda and the dark hole and like the mystical side of, you know, the MCU and with the introduction of Moon Knight and Blade Mm -hmm. and uh, Black Knight, like the more supernatural kind of side. There's obviously stuff brewing in that side of the universe. But then, you know, we come over to like, say, the Guardians and Thor. We're dealing with, or in Eternals too. You know, we have Celestials and Cosmic Beings and, you know, Eternity. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff brewing, you know, in the cosmos. And I think where we're going to see the MCU go from here is instead of all these movies leading to one point, I think we're going to get multiple different events kind of happening coincidingly with each other and mm-hmm. all of that, all of those smaller events, like we were, you know, talking about war of the realms. I mean, uh, you could even put Kang in there, the Kang war, uh, young Avengers, stuff like right. that are all going to be their separate events. And all of that is going to lead to another kind of grand event of like we were saying, secret wars. And that's right. going to be like, end game times 10 because you're going to have all these events and all these separate stories that have seemingly are independent of each other. But you, Mm -hmm. you know, we find out that they were all, all of those things happened to lead to this. You get what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. So like you were saying, I think you're on the right track with saying, you know, a lot of these things seem like they're happening independently from each other. And I think you're right. But I don't, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't know if we're going separate universes. I don't know if I'm going to go that far. But <laughs> right. like I said, I think you're, I think that's kind of where it's going. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, well, and we'll see. So, I mean, they're definitely, and, and Kevin Feige has alluded to the fact that, you know, they're going to reveal more the next few months and that, you know, there's things been out there where people are kind of, you know, picking up what has been laid out and everything. So we'll kind of get a little bit more confirmation, you know, by mm-hmm. the end of fall, I think. So, yeah. All right. Well, usually um, I ask for some of our listeners to kind of, you know, give their thoughts about the movie as well, too. But, you know, because of everything that's been happening and like we just watched or I just watched a movie a few hours ago, I wasn't able to put anything out on social media. So if you have if you're listening and you have any um, thoughts that you want to, you know, shout our way, make sure you just, you know, tag us on social media. We're on all the social media platforms under Caption Life. Um, but before I let you go, TJ Keen just let people know where they can find you online if they want to reach out to you and and, um, and connect with you. 
Yeah, so you can find me online. Uh, just search Fat Thor. My at name is a little <laughs> confusing. So just search Fat Thor and you'll more than likely be able to find me. Also, you can check us out, uh, the Sons of Millionaire podcast uh, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. We also have a Twitter page at Sons of Millionaire. So you can also find us there. And yeah, that's, that's really where you can find me. I'll be talking my nerd stuff, spreading the Thor gospel. Just keeping on, keeping on. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for coming on the show again. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation and you're always welcome to come back on the show. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you so much for inviting me. This has been so, so much fun. And like I said before, (laughs) I am always down, not only just to talk Thor, I, you know, I read other comics too. I swear. I don't just read Thor. So I am always down to come nerd out. And again, just thank you, Sean, for having me on and giving me the opportunity to just come and nerd out, man. It's been so much fun. Awesome. Well, thank you. All right. Well, that wraps up another review episode of The Caption Life. We hope that you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on social media under the username at Caption Life. If you like what we're doing, give us a shout out, tag us in your post. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com.